When I was in college, I think it was probably my fourth year. Fourth, yeah, it was my fourth year. I was I was quite overwhelmed, as you can expect. It was probably my last year of school. Uh, I was in. We were engaged. We were engaged. There was a lot going on, and uh, get married in the summer. Finishing school, things were a little bit overwhelming, and I remember going and talking to uh, our New Testament professor. Talked about Old Testament professor this morning. Our New Testament professor, Dean, who's fantastic, and I expected that Dean would give me prayer and counsel as I kind of shared what was going on in my life. And he did that, but he surprised me when he steered the conversation in a direction I did not anticipate. And he asked, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting any exercise? How long are you sleeping at night? What are you eating? And it, it surprised me because Dean, you know, New Testament guy, right? I'm expecting I'm going to get some kind of spiritual answer for my issue. And here he is, and indeed he did pray for me, and we brought the stuff to the Lord and whatnot, and he encouraged me. But he purposely steered the conversation towards my body, my physical life. How was I doing? Was I getting enough to eat? Was I sleeping? Was I getting any exercise at all? And what Dean did in that moment is he helped me reorient my own understanding to realize that what was happening physically in my body, my physical life, had something to do with my spiritual life. The two were not separate from one another. There was a profound connection between my life in the body and my life in Christ. Now, some of us, if you've grown up in, the, in church, there's a chance that you grew up in a, a setting where the supernatural was really, really emphasized. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a danger in that where we emphasize what we would say is supernatural to the point that we forget that God has purposefully created us to be embodied beings. And what happens is we can get this unbiblical divide between my spirit or my soul and my body, as though the one is better than the other. And for some of us, that becomes a, a thing in the back of our minds that we go about kind of the rest of our lives, that you know, physical stuff doesn't really matter, and what matters more is my spirit or my soul, and the kind of the immaterial stuff. And what, what, uh, what happens when we live that way is it actually jives up well with a culture that has a, an excessive and kind of misdirected emphasis on a perfect body. It seems easy as a Christian to say the body doesn't matter, especially when you go and you're checking something out at, a, at Safeway or whatever, and you look at the magazines and it's all about getting a perfect body, or losing weight, or whatever, right? You know this. It's easy to go, well, that's not for me. It's all kind of garbage. Uh, all that matters is my spirit. Friends, what we need to rescue is a biblical understanding of the fact that we were created to live as embodied beings, uh, physical and spiritual. This is how God's created us. At the incarnation, when Jesus came to earth and took on flesh, is, is God's resounding yes to life in the body. He's saying, I'm going to come and take this on. It is good. It's good. 
And what's even more astonishing is that we're told, and we're going to get there when we get to 1 Corinthians, is that in the body, in the body, this is where God has come by His Spirit to dwell within us. He has come to dwell in the body. And of course, finally, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Bodily resurrection, right? Bodily resurrection tells us that our bodies are not just to be discarded, but they're going to be redeemed. And that's why the Gospels go to such lengths to tell you this is not a ghost. Right? Look at the scars. Look at the hole. I'm now going to eat fish, says Jesus. Oh. Do ghosts eat fish, he says? Do ghosts have a stomach? They go, no, it's really you. His body is different. It's, it's totally changed. It's redeemed. It's resurrected. And yet there's a continuity with his, with his old body. There's the old scars, the old wounds. What we're told in the bodily resurrection of Jesus is that our bodies are not ultimately just to be discarded. We're not just going to spend eternity as disembodied spirits, which is what I believed for a long time when I was growing up before I kind of read the Bible more seriously as an adult. But we are going to be gloriously re-embodied beings, worshiping the Lord. This is what resurrection is about. Now, if you had told me that 15 years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? That's not what I'm used to hearing in church. That's not what I'm used to thinking about when it comes to my body. That's why I want us to focus on these two passages and dig into what is a healthy understanding of our own physical embodiment and what is God doing with that and how does he call us to live for him in that. So two passages. Go back to First uh, Kings. One in the Old Testament, this is Elijah, the other in the New Testament, Paul. And both of these passages are going to teach us something about honoring and embracing the fact that God's mixed to be embodied people. Uh, now, there's parts in the, as you're turning there, there's obviously parts of the New Testament which we're not going to get all into, where Paul makes a distinction between spirit and flesh. There's a lot of that. It's important to read that and understand, is Paul talking about a physical body or is he talking about a sinful nature? And that's an important distinction. Those of you that have been in church for a long time, and that's what's kind of firing in your brain, don't worry. Uh, that's a very real topic. We can talk about that more, but I want to focus in on this part in, in 1 Kings and 1 Corinthians. What's God telling us in these passages? So first, uh, Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Here he is. He's worn out. He's beaten down. He's exhausted physically, Right? Uh, but he's also spiritually searching, we could say. He's empty. He's afraid for his life. Uh, Jezebel is coming after him. Queen Jezebel is pretty nasty. What does God do? Well, very much like Dean did for me all those years ago, God gives special attention to Elijah's physical condition. I think this is really interesting. Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 4. Right? Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came through a broom bush. I have no idea what a broom bush looks like. I imagine a bush with brooms. It's probably not that, but you know. He comes to the broom bush. He sits down under it. Probably has good shade if it's a broom bush. I don't know. But he sits down under it and prays that he might die. This is not a good place. He's kind of at the end of his rope, right? I had enough, Lord. Take my life. This is the place of utter desperation. Some of you have been here. Some of you know what this feels like. And where you've been at the end of your road. I want to tell you, God is present to you when you are in this place also. Just like he is to Elijah. 
He's not alone. This story is about God comes to care for you in your brokenness. He's present to Elijah. He's present to you too. If you find yourself in this place of like a better off dead, God wants to come and rescue and heal you. That's where you are today. Uh, that's simply not true. It is good for you to be alive. And he wants to come and bring healing. What happens? Look at verse 5. Elijah's terrible. Is he almost depressed at this point? I almost find him. Goes to sleep. Verse 5. God sends an angel to help Elijah do what? Care for his body. Right? What's he say? Get up and eat. Get up and eat. Elijah looks up. Verse 6. Sees bread and water. Eats it. He drinks it. Goes back to sleep. Then the second time, the angel wakes him up, touching his body. Hey, wake up. Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. What's he mean by that? The journey is too much. The body is the vehicle through which Elijah is going to take the journey ahead. And if Elijah doesn't care for his body, the journey into God's presence is going to be too much for him. He won't be able to handle it. He needs to look after his body. So Elijah, verse 8, gets up, drinks, and now strengthened by the food, he travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Mount Hor. He has to walk then with his body, right? He's rejuvenated now. He arrives, he enters a cave, he spends the night, and he's ready now to receive from God. And now we're not going to get into what God does next. The point is, Elijah needed to learn a really important lesson, and that was he had to care for his physical body. And he had to care for his physical body before he could properly attend to what God wanted him to do. In order for Elijah to be in the right frame of mind to actually receive from God, he had to look after some things first. Once he begins to attend and, and look after himself, once his body begins to heal physically, he begins to heal spiritually also. Now, I'm not saying this is some sort of magic formula, like, you know, if you look after your body, somehow all of your spiritual problems kind of go away, you know. Or if you eat well, you'll never get depressed or something. It's not like that. But the point is, Elijah's at this place of desperation. He's worn down physically, and God says, we need to, you need to look after yourself, get yourself back on track, so that you can hear from me. You can't go on ignoring this part of you. You need to attend to it so that you can properly attend to me. And so, Elijah gets really concrete instructions, right? Eating, drinking, sleeping to prepare him for the road ahead. It's not just about that, but those things are important to get him back on track of his life with God. Now here's the thing. I'm invited in this passage, and you're invited in this passage, to say, where have I neglected my body? Like, am I getting enough sleep, or am I just exhausted all the time? Like, do I rely more on caffeine to keep me going? Or am I just up too late watching TV and that I don't get enough sleep, right? Am I, am I drinking enough water in the day? Or am I getting headaches all the time? I was getting headaches all the time. I realized I was dehydrated. It wasn't a spiritual issue. God was like, you need to drink more water. Like, look after yourself. What are you doing? Right? Someone had to tell me, Nicholas, drink the water. You'll feel better. But right? you'll feel closer to God because you won't be thinking about your headache all the time. Here's the thing. When I forget to look after myself, it has a direct impact on my ability to care for and minister to my wife and my family and you as a church. If I don't look after myself, I can't shepherd you well. 
And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but I'm learning. And in the same way, husbands, if you're not looking after yourselves, you won't be there for your wife and your kids. Wives, if you're not looking after yourselves, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole gamut, we don't, we won't be present the way we should be to our families. Or employers, to your employees, employees, your employees, it works across the board. We suffer in our relationships when we don't look after ourselves the way God calls us to. Elijah needs to hear food, rest, water. Right? Twice. Have a good sleep, get a full time. Then we'll carry on, right? It's so similar to what God reveals about his caring heart in Psalm 23, right? Will lead you beside still waters and green pastures. What is this? Water, food, to do what? Restore my soul. Right? God is caring for Elijah, his, his physical sustenance, in order to kind of get him back on track so he can be present spiritually and walk forward with the Lord. So we need to we need to learn, friends, that God often speaks to us through our bodies. For instance, I know when I'm carrying stress on my shoulders. I can ignore that and just go about my day. Or I can say, God, my body's telling me I'm worn out. I don't know what it is. It happened after this conversation with someone. This is a cue that I need to be praying about that. Right? I'm physically in pain from this conversation or from what's going on in my life. It becomes a prompt prayer. As we listen to our own bodies, we realize God is speaking and calling us to certain things. And so I might, you know, in a, in a feeling stress on my shoulders, go, God, I know I'm not well. Something's up, I'm stressed, and it becomes an opportunity to give that to him, for instance. Uh, or you might feel elated when you were around someone, like just full of life, and you leave that conversation going, man, I feel good. God, thank you for that person. Because I realize they bring me joy. How can I be that friend to someone else? You see what I mean? There's cues given in the body that the Lord does to prompt us either to prayer or to care or whatever it might be. And it becomes a way in which we are called to pray. Here's the thing, friends. You are not as a human being. You are not a spirit in the body. Or, you know, you're not just a spirit with the body. You are a spirit and body being. That's what you're called to. That's what you are. When you read Genesis 2, and God's making humanity, he takes the dirt and he pumps it all up and has a physical dirt person, and he breathes into it his very breath. And man became a living soul. It's full of life, and God says, very good. You are a dust and divine breath person. That's what you are. You're dust and God breath for lack of a better term, that's what being human is. It's not just one or the other. And that is why death is such a terrible thing because you see a body with no breath in it. That's what's wrong. That's why death is an enemy. And that's why the Christian hope is resurrection. Not no body, but a new body. Re-embodied being. Resurrected being. With life again. That's what the Christian hope is. So for those of us, friends, maybe you're here and you struggle with your body image. Lots of us do. God wants to bring healing and confidence back to you. 
It's not about having a perfect body, but it's about recognizing that the body is his gift to you. It's part of who you want. He wants to heal you of the stuff you've heard from school and from work and in your culture of that you just don't look right and you're not good enough. Blah, blah, blah. He wants to bring healing to that place. Now, for some of us, our bodies are broken and falling apart and they hurt all the time. Right? The body reminds me that I'm getting old. Mine, not so much, though I do have my aches and pains, but it's nothing compared to something. I know that. I'm not even going to pretend I know what that's like. I just don't know what it's like to have arthritis or fibromyalgia or something. I just don't know. But I imagine it's really painful and it hurts. When we experience pain and discomfort and inflammation in the body, it's a reminder, not that I'm never, someday I won't have a body to deal with. No, someday God's going to come and redeem this and give me a new resurrected body. That's what you hope for. So when I tell, I was thinking about this when, uh, some of you will know when Linda and Dan were here, right? When Dan died of cancer. And he is now in the presence of the Lord, but there will come a day where Dan will get a new body with no cancer. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we look forward to, right? Isn't that exciting? Like, I think that's really cool. It's really cool. So from Elijah, we're told, we need to care for, nourish, tend to our bodies, listen to them. Okay? Got that? Great. Jump over to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about the second part of this. In this passage, Paul's writing to Corinth, early church, uh, which is really messed up. You thought, hey, let's just get back to the early church, because it's awesome. No, it's not. They are really, really messed up a lot of the time. Just like us sometimes, right? Here's an early church. They had adopted an idea from the culture which said the body's permitted to have everything it ever craves. So whatever you desire, whatever kind of inkling you have in the body, you just go for it. It's all good. Sound kind of familiar? I think our own culture is kind of like this. This had so distorted them that the believers are actually using prostitutes. Did you catch that in the reading? And the reason they're doing that, they're Christians. The reason they're doing that is they're, they're thinking, the body doesn't matter. Right? Body doesn't matter. So I just do whatever I want with it. Right? <laughs> doesn't matter. So they're actually using prostitutes and thinking it's fine. There's a bunch of other issues in the church, too. We won't get into it. But it's a mess. Right? Think about that train of thought. If this thing doesn't matter, if you think something doesn't matter, what do you do? You don't treat it properly. Typically, you would use it. Right? Just kind of let it go. That's what they're coming at, at the body with. We do this in all sorts of ways. Right? Uh, if this thing doesn't matter, it's not going to look after anymore. We better make sure that the things we think don't matter aren't actually things that matter a lot to Jesus. And in this case, Paul says, whoa, your theology of the body has gotten off track majorly. I need to come and correct this. And that's what he does. He teaches a biblical theology of the body. What does he say first? Basically, your physical desires are tainted by sin. So just because you have an inkling to go do something, doesn't mean it's okay. Just because you feel a desire to go sleep with that person doesn't mean you should. Right? Paul says, hang on. Your desires aren't neutral. You can have a desire that is bent towards moral evil. And you need to keep that in check. We need to hear this especially, friends, when it comes to sexual ethics in our own culture. Uh, I think we live in a very similar kind of 
a place where we're told, you know, follow your desires, do whatever you want. Follow your heart, we'll say. Be true to yourself, we'll say, right? When we're talking about sexual behavior, we make it a matter of, we put it in the category of choice of human rights. When it's completely the wrong category to put sexual ethics into, actually. Because we assume, whenever we do that, that our desires are automatically good and decent. Uh, and we forget they have potentially be morally off course. We live in a culture, friends, that has given up on any kind of moral law or moral standard because we don't want a moral lawgiver to give us a moral law. And so we say, well, we're just going to do whatever we want as long as, long as no one gets hurt, we say, right? We'll do whatever we want and everything's permissible. It's all okay. Until you ask, well, how do you know if it's okay or not, right? And we say, well, common sense. Ravi Zacharias gives this, gives this analogy. He says, well, common sense. In some cultures, we're told to love one another. And in other cultures, it's okay to eat one another. What would you, which would you like? <laughs> Who's right? If there's no right or wrong, who's right? It's whatever you feel. Well, ask the one who's being eaten if it feels okay, right? <laughs> we need a moral law, friends. Think about the logic, though. You don't ask the person who wants to rob someone else, uh, well, it's their human choice. Freedom of choice, human dignity. It's their right to go rob someone else. Or you don't say to the person that has a desire to go kill someone, well, it's their choice. Human right. They can act on their choice. And yet when it comes to sexual ethics, we do that. We say any desire, well, it's their choice. Right? You see the difference? You can't give that category to just anything. We've forgotten the sacredness of our sexuality. We forget the sacredness of the body. And our culture is needs help with this. We need friends as the church to show that there's another way of living. We don't just give in to every kind of base desire that we have. We're called to bring those to Jesus and to live out a life of grace and forgiveness and joy that says just because you want this doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. Or just because you want that doesn't mean it's going to be healthy for you. We're called to a different way of living, friends. It's, a, it's one of the greatest witnesses we can have in a culture that's ignored this. Paul says, not all your desires are to be acted upon. Some are sinful. You can be the master of your desires. What will it be? Look at verse 13. He says, your body's not meant for sexual immorality. You can just do anything you want with the body. But the body's for the Lord, and the Lord's for the body. Okay? God likes the fact that you have a body. This is how he's made you to be. And so we're to praise him, friends, not just with our hearts, our minds, but with our hands, with our physicality. And you know this. When you've worked a job, whether it's with your hands or you're working at a computer or whatever it might be, and it is fulfilling and good, this is worshiping the Lord with your body. You are giving it to him and fulfilling what you're called to do as a human being, to, to bring order and goodness and beauty into his created world. That is your calling as a human being, an image bearer, creating God's image is to contribute to his life and his grace and his goodness in the world by living it out. That's the human vocation. So then Paul goes to Jesus' resurrection, right? He says, God raised the Lord will also raise us up by his power, right? Jesus' resurrection, I already said this, is the first step in an overall resurrection. That for God's people on the last day, there will be a resurrection of the world. Fantastic. Brilliant. 
So he's saying Jesus' body and the believer's body are eternal. God's going to raise us up bodily on the last day. Fantastic. Therefore, that should affect how you live in the present. If God's saying this matters so much that I'm going to keep it, I'm going to redeem it, then I need to get my own kind of priorities on track. If this matters to God, then it matters, it should matter to me now. Rather than using your bodies for sin, we use them to glorify God, says Paul. Then to really hammer at home, as you say, your bodies are currently now the place where Christ dwells. So not only, not only are uh, are you some days your body going to be resurrected and redeemed, but right now God is indwelling the body. So currently, it has value and is good because God decided to take up residence there, and that is an incredibly you know, validating thing. God has come to live here. Who am I to just say it doesn't matter? Glorify God with your bodies. And he says, you are to be united with Christ. Don't give in to being united with prostitutes. Make sure you're united with Christ. That's the new thing. Right now, with individual Christians, says Paul, we become like the temple where the Spirit dwells. So what's that all mean for us today, friends? It means not all of your bodily desires are worth acting upon. You can't do whatever you want. But that also doesn't mean that we shun the body and think it's all evil. We recognize our own sinfulness. We embrace God's redemption and his mercy. And he's the one that shows us, like with Elijah, what it means to exercise responsible stewardship of the gift of the body that he's given us. And I think that is the key. It's, it's easy to overdo it. Just be after the perfect body image and be self-absorbed with how you look. It's easy to swing so far the other way and say none of it matters. It's the Christian way to say actually it does. To say it doesn't matter is to ignore what God's called good. To go over this way is to ignore what sin is. But to live right here is to say I'm going to exercise stewardship over my body. Recognize it's good. Recognize I'm broken and I'm fallen, but recognize that in my broken fallenness as my shoulders ache and as our bodies get plagued with cancer and all the rest, these are markers that point us to the day when our body will be resurrected just like his. And so the body becomes the signpost of what our hope and our future is. But as Christ has purchased us to himself, he says, Jesus calls you to become a whole human being, not to be fragmented, get, get away from sin, repent, to follow him, enter into his salvation, to become a whole person. So friends, in Elijah, we're invited to care and steward our bodies. In Paul, we're called to remember our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God is inhabiting us and transforming us. And we're reminded that the body has a future, a resurrected future. Therefore, we're called to glorify God with our bodies. What does that really mean? What does it mean to glorify God with your body? Well, one, one element is about not giving into sin, as Paul does. And it's important to reread that and go, am I giving into a desire that is not from the Lord? But we can also live out the goodness of God in all sorts of ways. You can let walking around be a time for prayer. As you eat, you can remember, I'm dependent on God. I'm cared for by Him. As you bathe and shower, this is a reminder of your own vulnerability. The fact that God protects you can be a reminder of your baptism. 
many ways. As you are embraced by friends, as you go and shake hands, it's a reminder that God has wired us to want communion and fellowship. And as we do that, as we embrace, we realize we're loved. It's good. So it's so it's so terrible to be isolated on your own with no one around, no one to give the hug, no one to embrace. It's in that physical contact that we realize that we are loved and cared for. That's why it's so good when you're going to go see old friends from a long time ago. Right? The big hug, right? And then you go have a meal. We do this in, as embodied people. I could read about that and say this person cares for me, but it's something different when I get the hug. Right? It's one thing to hear my parents hours and hours away when I was in college say, hey, I love you, we're proud of you. It's another thing to go home and have them embrace me. Right? That's lived out in the body. God wants to minister through our bodies and to our bodies. So as I wrap this up, some encouragement for us. Where we neglect the body, maybe like Elijah, hear God's call to care for and steward the gift that he's given you, your only physicality. Not saying you make a big show of it, I'm not saying that you get self-absorbed, but I'm saying don't swing so far that you say none of it matters. God cared for Elijah's body so that Elijah could be back on track to continue the work he'd been called to. And in the same way, if I'm not looking after myself, I can't minister well to you. So ask, Lord, who are you calling me to minister to? I better make sure I'm looking after myself enough that I can do that. And maybe you're in a place where you're, you are, feel like your body's just in this place where you sit all the time. And it's, it feels dirty. It feels evil. It feels guilty. And if that's the case, think about Paul's words to the church in Corinth, that God First of all, can forgive that sin, can remove that sense of guilt. But he calls you to glorify him with your body. So use your body for good. For some of us where our bodies are broken and sick and worn down, let that be a signpost to Christ's resurrection to know that one day this body will not ache anymore. And it will be good. And where we've made a a separation. So there is a separation between the body and the spirit. They're not the same thing. But where we make an unbiblical separation, saying that one is better than the other, and that one, one of them matters and the other one doesn't, may God remind you that actually your body is the place where the spirit dwells. That's where he's come to live. He thinks it's very good, Genesis 2. We too should think this is very good. I'm not the one I think it should look like. Right? Might look in the mirror and go, what? <laughs> no thing. But God says, very <laughs> Friends, he invites us, every one of us, to put away sin, to turn to Christ, to live a life of wholeness, holiness and grace, not by our own strength, but by the Spirit gives within us. So as we wrap up the message, I'm going to pray for you. Um, I realize for some that is a that has spawned probably more questions than answers, and for some that is really different from stuff you've heard before, and for some you just go, yeah, that makes sense, we're good to go. When is lunch? <laughs> <laughs> you must glorify the Lord of your body. 
but friends, don't let that that sense that this, your body doesn't matter, it's only your spirit that matters. It's not biblically true. Uh, yes, the spirit is so important. Uh, it's our spirits that are linked to Christ, all the rest of it. But if you believe in resurrection, you have to remember that he still thinks our bodies are good. And so we are called as Christians something so unique in that regard, aren't we? We don't just say, your body doesn't matter, do whatever you want. We say, actually, God's called you, made you for this. It's okay. And that's why some of the best ways we can minister to people are with the hug, bring in the meal, stopping by, how are you doing? Let me help you fix that house up with my body to handle the stuff, right? So just be aware in your own hearts as Christians. You've been a Christian for a long time. Be aware in your own hearts of where you where you tend to go off kilter on this. And as, especially as young people, those of us that are on social media all the time, and we hear a lot from a culture that says, you know, this is what your body should look like, this is what you can do with your body, do whatever you want, all your desires are okay, let this be a check to you to make sure that what you are doing with your body is actually good and holy and not dangerous for you, okay? And uh, the rest of us who are I'm not part of this group, but if you think about your body and just was broken and hard and I don't like it and it hurts and it's cancerous or whatever, I'm not saying that God thinks that is good. What I'm saying is let that point you to the fact that God's going to someday redeem it and restore a body for you. And uh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. And the reason I believe that as a Christian is back to the gospel, it's back to Christ's own resurrection. Uh, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. And actually, if you want to stand, you can't. If you want to kneel, you can. That's okay. Uh, one of the ways that we, I think we worship with our bodies is we recognize there's urges sometimes as we encounter God's presence that sometimes we want to stand in His presence, sometimes we want to kneel. Have you ever had the urge to just lay on the floor? When I first became the pastor, my first time that I was in my study, the first time, I got a little bit overwhelmed with the whole thing. I just laid on the floor. Oh, God. <laughs> What's happening? What are you doing? Why have you put me here? And our physical bodies become a way of expressing what's on our hearts. They don't need to lay on the floor for God to hear me, but it becomes a way of expressing what's going on in our heart. Uh, so, friends, let's pray.